Welcome to the FTF Exchange Podcast. This is Maureen Lowe, founder and president of FTF. In this podcast series, we speak with industry professionals from leading financial and technology firms in capital markets. We will discuss an array of topics from current events to the latest fintech updates to human interest stories from time to time. Through these discussions, we strive to foster thought leadership and information sharing, and we certainly welcome comments and feedback for future episodes. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of the FTF Exchange podcast series. Today, we are speaking with Satyam Kanchala, Executive Vice President and Chief Product Officer for Numerics, and James Jockel, Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer for Numerics. Numerics is a financial technology provider that develops multi-asset class analytics and scalable software for risk management, trading, valuations, and pricing for sell-side and buy-side firms. First, uh, Satyam and James, could you just tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do at Numerics? Sure, Eugene. So uh, first of all, thank you for this opportunity and thank you for this opportunity to talk uh, with FDF uh, podcast. Myself, uh, I've been with Numerics for about 20 years and we at Numerics uh, work on risk management technology uh, for the sell side and for the buy side, focusing on analytics, focusing on risk, emerging risk ma- management technologies, data science, and uh, my role here is to lead the product initiatives uh, across the board as a chief product officer of Numerics. Thank you, Eugene. Uh, I'm Jim Jocko, chief marketing officer. I've uh, been with Numerics for uh, 14 years and uh, in various parts of the street uh, for almost 30 years at this point. My primary responsibility is uh, looking after the brand and uh, uh, and positioning of, of the organization, but also working very, very closely with, with Satyam and his team in terms of understanding where the markets are, how they're evolving, and how we're communicating that effectively with all of our audiences uh, uh, in the financial service industry. Okay. Satyam, is there a single emerging technology or a set of technologies that helped Numerics realize that it could ultimately provide comprehensive real-time pricing and risk analytics? So uh, with our roots in pricing and the growth in risk and risk technology over the last decade or so, uh, what we have seen after the global financial crisis is a complete redefinition of what risk management means, different classes of risk that became part of the risk management practice, uh, the whole need to look at risk management, not just as a post-trade activity, but as a pre-trade activity as well. And, and really the amount of um, emphasis and importance that has been given to pre-trade has, has become significantly uh, larger uh, year over year. So, so really it's this opportunity that we see in the industry that led us to, to this development. In terms of the technologies that are fueling this kind of change and growth, uh, clearly I would identify uh, a few. It's not one technology. Uh, firstly, it's it's cloud and all the power and um, all all the capabilities that cloud technology uh, provides to us, as well as uh, things like uh, data technologies uh, with the, with the emerging data science, uh, the world of data science, AI, ML. We see a lot of technologies nowadays around managing huge quantities of data, and this has significant relevance also for the financial industry and how we can manage all of our data better. And of course, there are technologies like real-time uh, graph frameworks, real-time middlewares uh, that are important for real-time analytics. So, so all these ingredients come together uh, to really provide uh, real-time pricing and risk analytics. And James, any thoughts on that matter? 
I think it's important to note, you know, the the, the, the key word there being real time. You know, if you if you think of where the markets are right now in terms of uh, volatility, um, you know, the and all the uncertainty in the market, you know, that type of um, volatility underscores the need for, you know, ju just in time information. And you know, you think about going back, you know, 25 years ago, you know, with the first Monte Carlo engines, you know, you start off the calculation and then uh, sit back and come back a day or two later. Now, you know, we're talking, you know, decision making as it occurs with the speed that market data can move and that's you know that's the great uh, the great limiter at this point in time but from a technology standpoint when you're looking at cloud you're looking at graph uh, as well as the accessibility to it that you didn't have a couple years ago um, you know it's a difference maker in terms of empowering traders as well as risk and keeping that tight alignment between the two mm -hmm. so how important is it for firms to have a holistic view other operations for, for derivatives and for structured products? So um, it's become increasingly important to have a, a complete uh, pre and post trade view of what uh, one's exposure is, um, what kind of uh, sectors or industries one, one is exposed to, uh, the market risk exposures, counterparty risk exposures all coming together in a single system. Uh, and that's really behind one view, the goal to ensure that market risk and counterparty risk are supported in a single system, in a single holistic and consistent system. A lot of the drivers are behind this. Um, some of them are regulatory, but some of them really are how leading companies in the industry are taking risk uh, as a pre-trade activity. They're handling risk um, before a single trade is made, before every single decision is made. Uh, the holistic risk analysis is performed. Uh, so really that's, that's driving uh, the need across the board uh, from the most sophisticated institutions all the way down uh, to some of the smaller institutions as well to have holistic risk view, holistic uh, a sense of your exposure, uh, both pre and post trade. And then I guess that becomes increasingly important, right? Given the volatility, issue, volatility issues that you both mentioned before. Absolutely. As, as we see increased volatility, also changes in um, market expectations, um, these decisions need to be made quickly. Positions need to be uh, unbound quickly or new positions need to be entered into very quickly. Uh, so we see also the need for stress testing and uh, applying various types of scenario analysis on portfolio holdings, um, often in the context of, of a trade, in the, in the context of um, the trading activity actually happening. Um, so therefore, the need for speed is absolutely there and it's accelerating um, by by the, by the minute. What are some technologies and, and IT management strategies that are catching fire with hedge funds that embrace the, the cutting edge? Some of the technologies um, that are gaining increased acceptance and, and uh, really a lot of adoption we see. Um, uh, first of all, um, the, the set of tools that um, work with data science, such as Python and all the AI ML libraries and technologies, there's an entire tool set um, that is now part of the uh, normal functioning of most institutions. So it's becoming increasingly mainstream. Uh, we see um, data analysis dashboards. We see uh, Python as a tool for data analysis. And increasingly, we see risk managers, traders, also getting very conversant with uh, Python and data science AI ML tools. 
as part of this, uh, the expectation is that all data that an institution has, as well as all the analytic libraries, they're available, they're openly available for anyone to create their own um, custom workspaces, their own sandboxes, and really creating these sandboxes and experimenting with various types of uh, data sets, doing various types of scenario analysis. Uh, that, that's really becoming uh, quite mainstream. So it's no longer enough to have a, uh, a fixed front-to-back system or a number of systems that people already use. This kind of um, interactive dashboarding, sandboxing type of uh, environments are becoming incre increasingly critical. I would also just jump in there and uh, say the cloud as well, right? It's one thing to have a sandbox and, and the accessibility of Python, but as you're getting into machine learning, you're talking about you know significant size as it relates to the, the data sets, a lot of uh, testing and retraining of of the of the algorithms uh, to to get to the right answer. And you know, I think it's not just the the availability of Python, but it's the marriage between Python and the cloud. Uh, that can be brought together that is really uh, becoming a, a game changer for, for many funds. Mm -hmm. and, and Python is open source, right? Yes, it is. And it's just not Python uh, that's powerful. It's all the um, the ecosystem around Python. So Python is a language, but there, then there are tons of libraries that you can use to do anything from basic data, data analysis to matrix manipulation to very complex uh, statistical analysis. I would also just add, uh, you know, Satyam has used the word uh, a tool as it relates to Python. And I think, you know, to any listener, you should be very mindful of what is the role of Python and how it's used uh, in an organization um, as compared to, you know, in terms of building apps versus building enterprise type systems and technologies where more traditional languages like a Java or a C++ would have uh, much, uh, a much better suited place uh, alongside. So they they need to be complementary to each other because tools in and of themselves can be very powerful. But, you know, when you start getting into uh, looking at different elements of open source, you're also giving up certain levels of control. Um, it, it can uh, affect your upgrade cycles as different packages are perhaps not uh, backwards compatible, things of that nature. So um, I think, you know, uh, the, the CTO of today has a challenge to fully understand what is coming into the institution because there's so many tools available and how they're used, uh, it needs to be effectively managed. Mm -hmm. And the embrace of open source is, uh, is an interesting uh, development. I remember when I first started writing about open source, there was resistance. Uh, so how are the more reserved institutions reacting to, to these disruptive technologies? When will they get on board, or, or are they on board already? So obviously, we we have the um, technology adoption curve, you know, playing it playing itself out even in this uh, particular context. Uh, but increasingly, um, what what we see is the ability to have new environments sprung up on the fly through use of the cloud, as well as sandboxing, uh, mean that you can experiment and uh, have change happen in small pockets of an institution. It doesn't have to be top-down. It doesn't have to be driven top-down. Uh, what we see is you may have um, a company where um, most of the team members are using uh, our tr the traditional systems, the traditional workflows and processes, but you may have one or two quants on the desk, one or two data scientists 
who are able to quickly uh, create their own sandbox on the cloud that doesn't really impose upon the main infrastructure, uh, creates a copy of the data in a safe way, in a safe, safe and secure way uh, through the use of, uh, for example, Numex.cloud uh, or an Xcore.cloud product. And, and therefore, this type of experimentation and adoption of new technologies and ideas can proceed in small pockets of the, of the institution as opposed to be uh, something that has to be done holistically across across the board. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the, is the biggest challenge, though, in, in, in applying these new technologies to uh, the offerings from numerics? Um, in terms of challenges, I would say um, clearly understanding uh, the, the pros and cons of the various technologies involved um, are, are a major, major challenge. Uh, and that means also upskilling um, entire teams of, of individuals. So this could be both, of course, uh, at Numerics as we are trying to provide technology to our clients, as well as at our clients who are trying to learn and adopt some of these technologies. So, so there's there's a lot of emphasis uh, at this point on creating the right learning tools, the right learning atmosphere uh, for our employees, as well as you know for enabling that for our clients. Um, in terms of the technologies, it's also important to understand the different dynamics uh, of cloud versus on-prem. Um, while on-prem has its um, has severe limitations, I should say, in terms of growth and elasticity, it also means that uh, the cost curve is very well understood. It's basically a flat curve in terms of cost. But in the in the cloud world, you can really see surprises in terms of cost, and, and all of a sudden, one one may see that. Uh, the cost has has has, grown, has doubled uh, within a month, and, and therefore cost management and the right understanding of how to use these powerful cloud tools is is extremely important. Again, it comes back to training. It can, comes back to the right controls around usage of cloud technology as well. You know, I think one of the the key things, and Satyam and I have had many many conversations on this, is you know there there's so much technology out there that the key is to be wary of the hype cycle. The more you stay focused on what is the problem you're trying to solve, as well as what is the business problem uh, uh, that uh, that is is being addressed, well, then the the correct technologies present themselves. Um, it's really easy, I think, for 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 many people to come down and try and find you know what shiny new package to download is, but at the same time, it's you know as a software company, we we need to always be focused on what it is we're trying to accomplish, and then that makes the choices of technology selection much easier. Well, one of those uh, hype cycle words is cloud native. So the term cloud native is. It's it's as I say it's it's now a very important label for next generation cloud computing, but what what does that term really mean? So um, really, it means um, everything has been thought through. Every single aspect of a, a piece of software and application has been thought through, and done in the right optimal way uh, for uses in the cloud. To to give you an example, um, most developers in the traditional world of non-cloud native, in the traditional world, uh, don't even think about the size of the hard disk or the networking or uh, some of the infrastructure aspects of uh, what, the, what the system is sitting on. Whereas in the world of cloud, uh, if you're truly building a cloud native application, now developers need to start thinking about 
exactly how much resourcing they are going to provide in terms of CPUs, in terms of the, the hard disk, in terms of memory, uh, in terms of networking ports, in terms of security. So, so it means that, first of all, uh, I think for every developer, it's, it's, it's really a challenge. It's really a, a learning curve to understand uh, the full breadth and power of this. And then for, therefore, through that learning comes, comes something cloud native that, that optimizes fully um, how, how much compute, how much resourcing is being used throughout the day. Uh, things could be as dynamic as, as you want. So basically, um, with cloud native, another important characteristic you see is that there is zero fixed cost and everything is variable cost. So th that, that's, a, that's an important dynamic. So one way for me, to understand if we are truly looking at, if, you look, if you're looking at a new technology and if someone says it's cloud native, that's one of the first things I like to understand is that, is this a technology that has zero fixed cost and all variable costs? It means everything has been turned into, into cloud native. Everything is dynamic, nothing is static. Okay. Well, it, it seems that, that cloud computing has helped deliver on the promise of disruptive technologies. So how are distributed ledger technologies and digital assets being served or not served by these new disruptive technologies? The way I look at it, um, we, we obviously have digital assets as, as an asset class in themselves. And I think that that's, that's emerging. And, you know, I believe, you know, it's here to stay in spite of, you know, the bumpy uh, road that, that we have seen over the last several years and the volatility and the ups and downs. Um, there's just the, this whole world of digital assets. And then the other side of it is the technology of having a truly um, trust-based uh, distributed ledger, a trust-based network uh, that can be used to manage data, that can be used to have transactions that are trusted across uh, the institution, uh, across the industry, rather. So, so those distributed ledger technologies are also coming into the fore and unfortunately, uh, digital assets, as well as the uh, underlying technologies that use uh, digital distributed ledgers are, 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 are intertwined. Uh, but over the coming years, uh, what I see is that these, these two th things will actually separate and therefore uh, we'll, we'll see more of distributed ledger technology to be used in post-trade and settlements, uh, in clearing and use cases like these. And then um, separately, we'd have a uh, digital assets as an asset class uh, that, that will keep uh, emerging and keep uh, evolving as well. But these are distinct uh, tra trajectories that their own uh, uh, life cycle and really distributed ledgers uh, are more of the more in the category of a distributed uh, disruptive technology that will complement and support things like uh, cloud and uh, AI ML. Then quickly, uh, when you say trust-based, what do you mean? So, so the internet so far has evolved um, without a, a, a an agreed-upon notion of trust. Um, there's very little of that in terms of identity and trust. Who is doing certain transactions and so on. And and the promise of distributed ledgers and um, um, and transactions, including derivative transactions that occur, occur on the chain on the on the um, distributed ledger is that um, we have a, a very secure way of doing transactions that is also distributed, that is not done by uh, centrally by a single institution. Uh, it's done by uh, a set of 
a distributed network. So it is um, extremely promising. Um, uh, however, um, what what we are seeing now is multiple generations of technology all in the flux and um, in the coming uh, months and years I think we will see uh, some of the technologies settle down because there are uh, some technologies that are very expensive um, to create this trust and create this um, secure way of transacting um, and some that that are emerging that are really um, having the properties that financial systems need which is very fast settlement, very, very very low cost settlements, being able to do thousands or, or, or tens of thousands of transactions a second. So those, those types of new DLT technologies are only uh, only now emerging. And and perhaps after this, uh, through this current crisis that we're going through, some of these new technologies will shake out and, and we'll see what, what kind of technologies stand out really. Okay, and, and lastly, will we also see a little bit of disintermediation? So through the uh, process of decentralized clearing and decentralized uh, execution, uh, you're naturally going to see some disintermediation. But the regulatory stance uh, on, on all of these activities is still up in the air, as, as we all know. And it is very important for us to see and observe how the, the global dynamic is, is going to change, especially as it comes to regulation, because that, that will determine there are winners and losers here, as, as we clearly know. And um, uh, I think there is going to be a strong push towards regulation uh, in the coming few years, and, and that will set the tone for, for how, how much disintermediation is, is actually supported by, by these emerging technologies. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the FTF Exchange podcast. If you would like a turn in the hot seat, reach out to us at info at ftfnews.com and let us know what capital markets topics you'd like to discuss. Also, be sure to sign up to receive our email alert so you don't miss out on listening to future episodes. Just visit ftfnews.com and click the sign up link at the top of the page. Thanks again for listening to the FTF Exchange podcast. <laughs>